and welcome back to the next episode of Behind the Desk with Mark Thomas, the podcast where I meet some of the leading figures in the insurance and insurtech space, bringing you insight into their views and opinions on the sector, career journeys, as well as a deeper look into the actual person behind the desk. We are back after a week off last week, enjoying a dose of the flu, uh, so apologies for that, but in this episode uh, this week, I've got another great guest in Nick Meekle, Director of Technology at Wesleyan. Nick has an impressive career history. He, he, he's uh, worked in, in the space for nearly 30 years, started in consulting, moved into industry, working for some of the biggest insurance brands in the country. In this episode, we explore Nick's rise from consultant to technology leader, get into his views on the, how the sector is changing, and discuss a number of really key snippets of advice for all the budding tech leaders listening. Nick is a highly experienced and respected leader with a hugely impressive career journey and gives some brilliant insight throughout our discussion. So without further delay, let's get behind the desk with Nick Meekle. Nick, welcome to another episode of, uh, of, of Behind the Desk podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good, Mark. How are you? Yeah, yeah, very good. Thanks. Um, well, first of all, thanks for taking some time out to, to, to meet with us. Um, as with always at the start of the podcast, I will have given a, a, an intro, but but it isn't go go anywhere near as well as you can. So it would be really good to to uh, to hear kind of where you are at the moment, current situation, and, and give the guys uh, a, a bit of an intro on yourself. Sure. So I'm currently director of technology at Wesleyan Insurance, which is a mutual insurer specialising in uh, yeah, effectively protecting the professions that we trust, you know, uh, you know doctors, medical, you know, medical teaching, etc. But if if I step back and look more broadly at career, career's broadly been in in three phases. You know, my formative years after I graduated, I went into consulting. So I spent um, 16 years plus with what was under Anderson Consulting, now Accenture. We can talk about that. Uh, I then went freelance for about five years. And then since 2014, I've been kind of properly client side doing um, you know, technology and change director type roles. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Okay, cool. So uh, I'm sure we'll go into a bit about the the Wesleyan role, but let, let's go right back to the to the start. From my research, you were at Accenture for quite a while. So talk talk me through that journey. How, how you mean even from before that? How, what how, what made you get into technology initially? Right back to school. I I, I was going to go and do an, an English degree, and I was going to go and do an English degree at Dundee because you could go skiing at the weekends. <laughs> and I realized that was a really, really bad idea. So I ended up taking a year off uh, just to kind of get my head in the right space, really, and decide what I wanted to do. And I decided I wanted to go into a business-type type career. I wanted to go into industry in some way, shape, or form. So I did a management degree at Leeds. And when I was doing that degree, fairly early on, actually, I decided I wanted to go into a consulting environment initially, largely because of the variety. Yeah, I had a view which, which actually thankfully held true, which is moving around accelerates your learning. So I, yeah, I, I write for my first term actually in the first year at university. I, I targeted consulting. I decided then that, given, given the the landscape at the time, Anderson's was the company that I happened to want to join, and thankfully three years later it came off. I wasn't expecting to be there for sixteen, nearly seventeen years. Yeah, if I'm honest, um, but it, it didn't feel like it because. It was a series of assignments. So you'd spend six months in one place, 12 months at another. 
And yeah, that, that kind of pace and variety really played to what I wanted to kind of do. I get bored quite easily. Yeah, yeah, I like to be busy. I like to be at the edge of my comfort zone. I like to be constantly learning. If I'm in a position where I'm in my comfort zone, typically that, that's not a great place for me. I, you know, I need that frisson of, of working things out. Uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. You know, it was a great company. It's still a great company. I, I ended up in their financial services division. And then when they split financial services into insurance, banking, and capital markets, I happened to be working for an insurance client. Right. And the client partner happened to be going and running the new insurance practice. So I just got a tap on the shoulder. It's like, right, you're now in insurance. You're coming with me. And <laughs> yeah. since 97, barring a couple of brief stints, I've pretty much worked exclusively within, insurance, within the insurance industry. And what I found towards the, the end of my consulting career is it it became increasingly about sales as opposed to client delivery. And yeah. I could do it, but it's not what I enjoyed doing. Uh, yeah. So yeah, when it gets to the stage in any organization where you know, what, what your organization wants you to do, if that becomes misaligned to the kind of thing you enjoy doing, it's time to kind of just step back a little bit and, and, and make different decisions. So yeah, I was there from 92 to 2009, thoroughly enjoyed it. And anyone who's at the beginning of their career, it is a really good way to to well firstly accelerate your learning and also to build a really good network because you yeah. you move around so much you meet a lot of people you get a good variety of different experiences so I thoroughly recommend it. Yeah, I mean it's interesting actually, in the, the the previous uh, episode I had uh, Ollie Holden on from uh, from the AA and he, uh, he he had some similar route. So uh, so and, and it's quite it's quite typical, isn't it? And actually, I think that that the way people tend to leave consulting is actually a lot down to that sales thing. If it, they they enjoy the delivery or whatever it might be, and, and not so much on the on the sales piece. So I think that's fairly fairly typical. And um, what what talk, talk us through the kind of roles that you did. Obviously, that you were there for quite a long time. So was there did did you did you typically do the same kinds of position or how, how did that evolve over that that kind of period of time? I oh, know de- yeah def- definitely evolved so you know cut my teeth in the early days around um, some systems development quite a lot of testing moved from that into fairly standard route into program management office into project management etc um, I tended to do more kind of hybrid technology and business consulting and process type work. I wasn't a hardcore techie. Uh, I never have been. There's people who are much more technical than I am in the industry. Uh, and I think probably the probably the formative uh, or the most important single assignment for me actually was I was seconded out f- twice actually, but once six months, eight months for bizarrely for a staffing company um, as their IT director. And that was my first kind of IT director type role. That was a, that was an unusual assignment. But I also got seconded out for two, just over two years as the IT director to the general insurance division of one of the major banks. And that was my first, I would say, kind of proper um, leadership role where I sat on the C-suite representing technology um, and change with it within that organization. And that really changed the way that I thought both about what I wanted to do as a career and also how clients thought. And I found having spent that two, two and a bit years, which I thoroughly enjoyed, I never really kind of emotionally reconnected with the consulting side again, because I, I, I enjoyed being client side. And anyone who's been in consulting, uh, I, I, I think back, it was a Tuesday afternoon, and this was a meeting that literally cha- changed how I think about business. Because as a consultant, you, you assume the C-suite of your client spends all its time thinking about strategic projects and where the industry is growing and all these big, big, gnarly issues that, that you assume clients deal with. 
And we spent every Tuesday afternoon was a group executive and typically two till five, give or take. And we spent most of that session talking about the prices in the canteen and car parking <laughs> because they, they were major, major issues for, the, for our staff, you know, yeah. for our colleagues. And I just had this uh, epiphany that these guys ran a company. It yeah. happened to be an insurance company. Mm. But actually, what you know, what they're worried about is staff attrition and the the disciplinary that you're going to hear and how you're going to recruit into this role and that you know the, the equivalent of a webinar that you're doing next week or whatever it might be. Uh, and it, it taught me a really valuable lesson, which I, which I've carried with me actually now, which is don't see the job title, <clears throat> see the person. So yeah. don't you know, don't think about the CFO, it's Jane. Don't think about the CEO, you know, it's Peter, whatever it might, whoever it might be. And actually, as you get more senior, um, the, the, these role titles that are like God's boss when you first join an organization, they're just people. They've just been around typically a little bit longer, and they've, they've been slightly more successful with their career. And if you can strip away the myth of the job title and just think about you know, what is that person actually worrying about, you get a yeah. much, much better interaction. Yeah, I, I, I mean that, that you can imagine in 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 the my line of work that that runs true exactly the amount of people who get kind of worried about job titles and things like that. And, and I'm glad that I'm glad that it wasn't even in those big organisations still people are talking about prices of stuff in the canteen and holidays and all this kind of stuff because that seems to be what I talk about a lot with the, some of the guys in my team. But um, so so. That that was obviously a big stint. Cut your teeth doing those types of roles. Lot lots of variety. Um, worked your way up to to a, a, a pretty senior position, and then obviously made this kind of call to to move on. What what? How did you go about that kind of next step, and what did that look like? Yeah, I hadn't decided what I wanted to do. Uh, so the the original plan was just to take some time out. Yeah, and, and think did I did I just wanted a break from consulting and maybe go back in somewhere else? Did I want to go client side? Um, I hadn't, I really hadn't decided. And to some extent, the decision was made for me because I, some previous clients had got on the phone and asked if I'd come and do work for them. So, you know, I talked earlier about one of the advantages of being in the early stages of your career in consulting is that network. And that network, yeah, you know, effectively then paid off for me in the next stage of my career. And in fact, subsequent stage of my career uh, where, you know, I was, I was asked to come in and, and just do interesting things. So I, I went back into uh, one, one previous client and ran a big merger for them for a couple of years, went into another organization who was in the process of doing a demerger um, as head of, head of solution delivery for those guys, which included big chunks that were needed to, to drive the demerger. And those roles were all really driven by network and um, rep- reputation. I'd never applied for any of them. Um, of course, you've got to be interviewed. You know, I'm not arrogant enough to assume that things just things just arrive, but the, the, it, it was it was very much driven by network. And yeah, you know, again, can cancel to anyone up and coming in their career. Work on your network and work on your reputation. You know, insurance, whilst on, on the one hand it's a big industry, actually it's it's quite it's quite small. You know, at a senior level, you know more than a couple of phone calls away from someone who knows you. Yeah. So that you know, that reputation is is really really important. So it meant in that um, five years or so when I was freelance, I was doing interesting things. I only had downtime when I when I chose to have downtime, and was lucky enough to 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 some extent have the work come to me. 
I know also you evolved that. I know you did uh, a, 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 a fairly long stint at Lloyds Bank. Um, and, and then I think actually the first time we ever spoke, you were at Direct Line, I think. When, uh, and was that and that was that when uh, RBS and, and Direct yeah. Line split? Because yeah, that, that, I mean, that must have been quite an interesting time. Yeah, it was. Having spent quite a bit of time doing doing a merger, being part of an organization that was demerging and looking at the transaction to the other way was quite interesting. Um, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't the merger program director, but a lot of what was needed to be done in order for the merger to be successful ran through technology. So yeah, we had to spin up HR systems and risk systems, and they were going through solvency two and so on at the time. So yeah, again, yeah, one of the characteristics mark of the roles I've tried to go go and do during my career has been that word interesting. Mm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, when we come back to where I am now, yeah, yeah um, largely. I'm, I'm I'm motivated by doing things that I think are going to be interesting. I've never gone and done something because it's part of a structured career move or because of a particular remuneration or whatever it might be. I've always been driven by that kind of looks interesting. I'll go and do that. And that yeah. provides the motivation. Yeah, 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 I understand. So so where, where would you say, so what would, would, was that direct line role? Was that the first role that kind of took you into this kind of CTO, CIO, head of technology kind of space? Was that the first role in, in that space? Would, would, I guess you were doing similar roles to that at Accenture, but, but I, I mean post post the consulting work. Yeah, no, no. Um, when I did the Lloyd's role after I'd left um, Accenture. Um, initially, I was program director for the for the merger with their general insurance business in the second year of that two-year stint. I rejoined the executive team there as their change director. When I went into direct line, I, my title was head of, I, was, I went in as head of um, major programs and then became head of solution delivery shortly thereafter. So I didn't have the, the CIO, CTO job title right. there. There Worked for an ex, an ex, a very, very good CIO who, who I've got a lot of respect for. Um, again, I'm not really driven by the job title. No. It's more, is the role going to be an interesting, interesting role? And there was, yeah, there, there was so much going on there. There's a big, chunky delivery role in an organization that was going through some very, very profound change, both in terms of technology and culture and structure all at the same time. So that's the challenge. Yeah, if I'd wanted to go, you know, I need, I want a particular job title, my career would probably have looked quite different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's get back to kind of where we are, where you are now. So you're at, you're at Wesleyan. Um, what, what, talk, talk us through that kind of role and what, I, I guess uh, what's on the agenda and what, what you've been doing most recently. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice organisation, Wesleyan. Uh, so, so I came off uh, the, the, probably the world's worst timed career break last year, where I was going to go travelling for six months, which <laughs> pretty much coincided to the day with COVID landing and the world going into lockdown. So, yeah, you know, it's it's a bit churlish to you know, bemoan not being able to jump on a plane where, in the grand scheme of things, people were dying, right? So, it did mean yeah. as a family we could hunker down, and, and I got and I got you know I got a break which I, which I needed. So the, yeah, the, I joined Wesley in September last year as director of technology. So for those who are not aware, Wesley's a, a mutual insurer specialist in, uh, in in its segments. Great, great culture, very ethical organisation, a very strong customer ethic, and so on. But it's also going through proportionate to the size of the organisation, quite a lot of change. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So there's uh, there's various retooling of some of the kind of back office technologies big focus on the digital agenda so that we can support our face-to-face -face workforce, which is you know, something we're very committed to and it works well in our marketplace, 
but with a much stronger um, digital offering and so on as well, so that customers can interact through channel of choice. So, so um, yeah, we, we, yeah, we're part way through that journey, still quite a lot to do. Uh, but yeah, very yeah, very interesting to see a, a one of the smaller insurers kind of really tackling that agenda. And from a personal perspective, having to, having been in some bigger organisations, I chose to come here because I wanted to get into an organisation where you know, simplistically you can get your hands in the patient. So mm-hmm. you know, when, when you're dealing with massive budgets and you know from programmes of 100 million plus and portfolios bigger than that, it, yeah, it, it, it's great on the CV. But the reality is you're managing the cash flow and the milestones, and it's quite difficult to really get into the content when there's that much going on at scale. Whereas when you get into a smaller organization, you can actually really get involved you know, at quite a granular level with the content flowing through the organization. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. So we, we kind of know where you're at now with regards to the career history, but um, what what's the... If, if we look at kind of more widely in the insurance space now, I mean, I, I think one of the key things uh, a lot of the listeners are always good, keen to understand really is is people's view on kind of where insurance is at at the moment and what, what you see as the key challenges. So having been someone who's worked in the space for, for a long time, like what have you seen kind of, how have you seen it evolve and, and what do you think the, the real challenges for the space are at the moment? Yeah, so uh, yeah, in- insurance increasingly, I think, has been in transition over the last, you know, I'd say, you know, 10, 15 years. And if you look at financial services generally or retail financial services, I think banks tend to lead the way. General insurance follows. I've been working more recently in the life and pensions type sector, which I think follows general insurance. And a lot of the the challenges that we have and the skills that we need, to, in, in the technology space particularly, uh, are largely industry agnostic. Yeah, um, the the challenges that we're facing are 24/7 distribution. The challenges we're facing are around reliability of systems and security. The challenges we're facing around you know, you know kind of performance and so on. And and actually, yeah, the, the, there's very little, if anything, that's unique to the insurance sector in mm. in those challenges. And you can go to many industries and and see the same thing. That also means that we're competing in the same pool of talent. Yeah, of course there are insurance specialist technology roles, right? Yeah, there's there's lots of specialist technologies, be it you know kind of guide wire through to sapiens and all these kind of things. And of course, yeah, there's people with specialist knowledge around that. I'm absolutely mm-hmm. not in any way, shape, or form, um, you know, suggesting they're not important. But where the transformation is happening is t- seems to be much more in the distribution type sector. So you you, know, you you're looking for CRM skills, you're looking for digital skills. You know you, you're competing with retail, you're competing with FMCG, you're competing with lots of other industries now, and yeah, it's beholden upon insurance to to make the offering compelling mm. to those to the people who wouldn't naturally gravitate to an industry that they don't necessarily understand. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, in, it's interesting one that. So, do, do you do you think that's um, because I know the the insurance space is probably unlike any other space, but but to me the insurance space is has historically wanted to hire people who have worked in insurance and 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 been and been uh, a, a little bit guarded about taking people from outside of sector. Um, do you think that's been kind of an inhibitor to to that modernisation in in the fact that uh, people have have looked for people from the space and, and do you think that's changing? I think it's definitely changing. I, mean, I think through some of my own hires, and I've brought people in from lots of different industries, yeah, depend, mm. dependent, you know, dependent upon the role. I, yeah, I, I think it's definitely changing. I uh, think about the 
yeah, the makeup of some of the teams that I'm I'm working with here that worked in other organisations, and the approach to talent, yeah, you know, kind of has to change. If if nothing else, there isn't the talent within the industry. Mm. Um, just just to do that, yeah, you know, all you'll end up doing is recycling the same people around unless unless you can grow that talent pool. So yeah, I think I think it's definitely changing. I guess like many industries, um, yeah, it's it's sometimes reassuring to see a history within the industry. And I'm probably a case in point. I say since '97, I've primarily worked in insurance. Yeah. Actually, most of what I do isn't really insurance specific. And I mentioned earlier, I had six months to contact out as IT director to a staffing company. Yeah, you, know, you just hit the ground running. It was the same issues, just happened to be a different industry. Yeah, I, I, I certainly think there's a safety net, isn't there? There's a, there's that that kind of, n- of nice feeling of someone if someone's done it at another organisation that's very similar to to, to yours, and it, it certainly it kind of makes people feel like it's a it's a safer bet. But um, but yeah, I certainly agree with you. The 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 depth further down the, it's especially in the, in this kind of mid to mid to more junior roles. Um, it, it, it kind of if, if you're going to change it you need to get people more, more young people and stuff into the, the sector um which kind of caveats nicely into that my, what my next question was going to be actually i mean what what's your what's your view on kind of how we get more people in because as, as you said I, I think a lot of people don't understand insurance they 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 certainly don't understand it uh past kind of buying their car insurance or or, or travel insurance or whatever it might be which is generally fairly transactional um kind of decision based on a comparison website or whatever that that's the limit of their knowledge so but the, the, as, as we know there's a there's a massive industry there that's uh that helps a hell of a lot of people so so how, how would you how do you think we change that with young getting young people in especially kind of more more women and and stuff like that what, what what's your view on that yeah, I, perversely, Mark, I think to some extent the answer was within the question. So right. you know, we, 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 have a, we have a generation coming through where purpose is increasingly important to people. Yeah. Yep. And in terms of the industry that we work in, and one of the reasons I, I like working in the insurance industry is it, is it serves, it's, it's going to sound a bit over the top, but you know, it serves a noble purpose ultimately. Yeah, the, you know, the, the job of insurance is, is to help people in times of need or to, you know, to provide for their future. Yeah, yeah. There's there there's a real human deep emotion behind what we do when we do it well. Doesn't mean we don't always do it as well as we could do. And I'm aware of the reputation issue sometimes the industry has, fairly or unfairly. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, if if you're paying someone's household claim when their their house is flooded, or you know you're getting someone back on the road because they you know they need to be able to get to work and their car's been stolen. Or you know, the industries I'm in now, you're helping people, you know, uh, you know, protect themselves if something goes wrong, or make sure that they can retire in a, in in a in a strong position. That that has a that has a, a genuine purpose. And uh, you know, if you've ever sat in on customer service calls, hearing some of our you know, our, our customer service colleagues dealing with customers in a time of crisis. Mm. It, you know, it, it, it's it's in, it's in, it's incredibly powerful. Yeah, very very powerful. So I think yeah, in terms of getting to a dem- yeah, if you've got a demographic for whom purpose is more important than it ever has been, and you have an industry which serves a fundamentally ethical purpose, there mm. must be something in that. Yeah, it, it's. It, I mean, I, I actually put a post on on, uh, on LinkedIn not so, not so long ago. And, uh, I think it was last week actually. And uh, exactly about it because I, look, I, I've worked in the support industry to, to to insurance for thirteen fourteen years, and and 
And uh, I, I even had a fairly negative opinion of, of insurance. Uh, like, and, and I think it's almost ingrained upon you from, from other people, really. And it's just a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, but actually, it, it's, it's amazing how that when you actually think about it, it, it you mean, insurance is is completely a noble uh, uh, sector. It helps people when really they can be at rock bottom. But for some reason, the the, the industry doesn't really sell that that well. I don't I don't know what I don't know why that why that is. But I, I, I mean, how do how do you think what what do you think the industry can do better to 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 to, to increase that? Because I, I I don't think we focus on the good on the the the, the sector doesn't focus on the good it does really like it, it, it seems to get a lot of bad press about the very small percentage of bad things that happen but 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 don't but we don't really sell the the, the good parts yeah i mean well that's newsworthy isn't it yeah it's 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 a good headline and yeah we, we all know yeah historically there's been yeah there's there's been some some issues with the industry you know ppi didn't do anyone any favors i mean so you know albeit that was a effectively a banking product underwritten yep. by in, underwritten by insurance but reputation it didn't do any only favors um but yeah yeah i you're probably beginning to get outside of my areas of expert domain ultimately mark you know this is a question for the it's a question for the abi and others about how we really market the industry best yeah you, you are seeing i think some insurers do that yeah i've seen a number of marketing campaigns where they talk about the percentage of claims that are paid. Yeah, that that yeah. is now published data from from all the from from all the insurers, etc. Um, I just think it's I just don't think it's very newsworthy. <laughs> yeah, you know, and unfortunately, you know, for, for a lot of people, um, insurance is a is a mandated purchase. You know, you have to have motor insurance. Other other types of insurance are are you know, kind of varying degrees of, of of discretionary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, and, and so I, again, I just wanted to move it on to that. As, as I mentioned to you um, just before we start recording, a lot of the people that listen to the podcast are, are, are people who uh, aspire to be CIO, CTO. So um, I'm always keen to get the, those kind of snippets of uh, of gold that you've taken from your your uh, your journey. I mean, what 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 advice would you give to anybody who's kind of maybe even just starting out on their journey in technology and have aspirations to reach sure. right, go to the top or, or or are close to it now and want to make that next step? Yeah, so two, two or three things for me, Mark. First one is take risk. If you look at the C-suite in most organizations, I, I would suggest very few people have got to the C-suite by staying in the same organization and just organically waiting to get promoted. Mm. Yeah. In the bigger organizations, they may have been able to move around within the organization to, to get that depth of experience, or they've moved around between organizations. And there, there comes a time in career where people need to be prepared to take risk. Um, mm. And I certainly encourage people, you know, um, you know, move in and out of technology you know, within the organization you're in, get different roles, you know, go and do a change role, go and do a technology role, go and do a, you know, a, a line role and get that, get that 360 view. Because I think the more experience you can get, the more likely you are to be able to, able to exploit that. And it's one of the reasons I enjoyed the consulting career, as I mentioned earlier, because it, you know, it's six months here, 12 months somewhere else. You're constantly, you're constantly having to learn. You're constantly going into new environments. So that, so that would, that would be my, my, my first feedback to anyone, which is get a variety of different roles under your belt. Yeah. yeah and, and I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, be disloyal to an, to an employee. If you like the organization that you're in, absolutely brilliant. But try and find different roles within it. You know, do development, go and learn to test, go and learn to be a project manager, go and do PMO for a year, whatever it might be. Get a variety of skills. So that 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 that's that one's critical for me. 
Second one I've already I've already mentioned. Um, you know, kind of don't see the job title, see the person. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's something that it might be personal to me, but I suspect a lot of people feel like this. I've never really felt senior in my life, and as as I think back to my my very early stages of my career, you know, the person you work for is the person you work for, but their boss is senior, right? Yeah. And that just recalibrates as you move up an organisation. And then all of a sudden you find you've got, you know, a, you know, a director or a you know, kind of um, you know, a C in your title, whatever it might be, but you're still the same person. And the, you, you might, might have worked with the chief exec, but the chairman's quite senior, right? And, and you, 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 you kind of think you recalibrate as you grow through your career. And of course, of course, you have to recognize the leadership role, whether you've got, you know, 100 people working for you or 1,000 people. Of course, that's a critical part of the, a, a part of the role. But you don't walk into the office going, oh, look at me, I'm quite senior. You're still the same person. And I think if people can can see that around their own leadership teams and not think about, you know, um, you know Nick's the director of change, actually Nick's Nick, right? You know, I, you know I, 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 I was interested in the football at the weekend and the gig I went to last night and all, and all those yeah. kind of things, right? Um, so treat people as a human being, not as a job title. And um, be respectful for the hierarchy, and you know, you know, of course, you've got to have a chain of command. But but see the person, and then the the best single piece of career advice I was ever given. And actually, when I fed this back to the to the mentor who gave me this feedback a few years later, he forgot that he'd given it to me. But he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it lodged with me, if not with him, which is only hold strong opinions, but be prepared to change your mind. Yeah, that's yeah. a good right. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, have an opinion on things. You may be wrong, in which case that's fine. But it's much better to have an opinion on something, and then, yeah, when 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 that opinion is challenged, be able to go. Actually, you're right. I haven't thought about X, Y, Z. But at least at least you're you're contributing. Your presence in the room. That yeah, that's needed because one thing that does come with hierarchy and does come with seniority is you've got to be able to make the call on things. You have to be able to make decisions. But I think you've got to have the willingness and the humility sometimes to recognise that you're not going to get all the decisions right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you try and get every decision right, you're never going to make a decision. Right? Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a really good one. So say, say that again. What was the what was the so, what was the line? So uh, only hold strong opinions, but be prepared to change your mind. Brilliant, brilliant. There's a there's a there's a slogan in there somewhere for, for yeah, yeah. Um, promoting yeah. this podcast. Definitely. <laughs> well, there you go. There's there's my next career <laughs> move, which is uh, t-shirt salesman. <laughs> <laughs> and then last one, just before we get into the kind of final questions, yeah. but um, so. I mean, I'm always quite keen. I mean, p- people. Uh, I'm sure you still, you still are obviously ambitious. Still, still got plenty of time in your career to do other stuff. So, what, what, what's the, what's the kind of ultimate ambition? Do you still have ambitions to to do uh, kind of CIO roles and continue doing this? What, what does the next next kind of five years or so look like for for Nick? Yeah. So, so I keep on coming back to the same word: interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I do get bored really easily. So. Uh, yeah, there, there are much, much better people at the kind of the, the pure run side than I am. And I think there's different types of CIO, CTO, change director, technology director, whichever, yeah, whichever kind of cadre you, you want to look at. And some people are brilliant at this kind of steady state, um, taking 5% out per annum, you know, you know, just keeping everything, you know, a, you know, absolutely solid. That's not my strength, really. I'm, I'm more of a, I typically get involved in more transformational stuff. As as we all do, you know, know what you're good at, know what you're not good at, and the things that you're not good at. Make sure you surround yourself with people who are good at the stuff that you're not good at. So I'll I'll be driven by what's interesting, 
I've never really mapped out my career. I've never said, you know, I want to be that position. And in order to get to that position, I need to make that move, that move, and that move. I'm, I'm just not that structured. Other people may may manage their career that way. Mm. And, uh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah that, if that works for them, that's brilliant. I've, I've much, much more been driven by, I've come to the end of something which has had a natural lifetime, life cycle. Um, yeah, either take a little bit of time out or... <laughs> Actually, more often than not, I've not had the time to go and take take some time out, but get driven by yeah, what looks the most interesting, challenging thing to go and do, but being really conscious to not do the same, exactly the same thing again. So whilst I've worked primarily in insurance, you know, I've worked in London markets, putting putting a broker together there. You know, I've worked in um, commercial insurance. I've worked in bank insurance. I've worked in direct-to-consumer insurance. I've worked in uh, in the life and pension sector. They're all insurance, but they're all they're all quite different. Yeah. So I'm a big believer of yeah you know, yeah yeah build on your strengths, but go and do something that's a bit different, a bit more challenging. Because otherwise, for me and other people will be different. For me, I I, I the danger is I get a bit complacent. So I've done that before. You just need to X Y Z. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. guess what? You know, no situation's exactly the same. So I, I'll be, I'll be driven by, um, you know, what's interesting. And I always say, yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's three things for me with an organisation, right? Well, yeah. One, one is, am I enjoying myself? Two is, am I adding value? Yeah. Or do I believe I'm adding value? And then the third one is, do I feel valued? Yeah. And if those three things add up, then why would you move, right? Um, yeah. But as yeah, one of those things begin to begin to kind of strip away that's probably time for me to kind of move on a little bit yeah i mean i think there's a, there's a couple more bits of advice in there isn't there that, um, that you mean certainly to do the thing that you enjoyed i always remember my uh when i was a kid my my dad saying to me just do what you enjoy doing and you'll be good at it uh, because if you if you enjoy going to work every day and you and you get and you find it it isn't like a job you generally yeah. will be better at it won't you so um Great. Okay. So, uh, last few minutes of the of the podcast, as as you will know, um, I always ask the same three questions at the end, and then there's a quick fire round. So, the the first one of the of the the, the kind of last three, as it were. Um, what's the best thing about being uh, behind your desk right now? Variety of challenge. So, okay. yeah, the, 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 there's a there's a lot going on. We're moving at pace in in an organisation that is is um, you know, probably one of the best cultures I've ever worked in. Actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, genuinely like the people here. But each each day is a different challenge. Be it, you know, you know, getting a project back on track, trying to spin up a new thing whilst everyone else is busy on something else, making sure that service remains robust, etc. It's it's that variety. You know, I, I, if I come in during the week, I can tell you what meetings I've got lined up, but you don't know necessarily what the challenges are going to be. And I love that variety and that that speed and pace of decision making. Yeah, yeah, I guess that that feeds into your the, not not getting bored. That that certainly is a is a is a yeah. good trait for a business to have. Um, so the second one is what what is it you love about the insurance space? You you've obviously been uh, I think of all my guests, you've probably got the longest tenure without leaving insurance. So you, there must be something you like about it. <laughs> I did have a couple of stints um, since '97. I say six, six months. I spent out absconded um, as CIO to a staffing company, and I spent six months with the capital markets division of one of the retail banks. So I've had a couple of brief stints, but, but very right. much by exception. I like the customer focus. Yeah, uh, yeah. What what we do matters to the people that we serve when they need us. Yeah, that 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 is um, yeah. Whether it's an ethical thing or whatever it might be. Uh, yeah, yeah, we work in an industry that matters to our customers when we need them, and that 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 that's very empowering. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fairly that's been fairly consistent. That's uh, a, a, a fair few people have said that. Um, um, and then the last one, and, and as I say, uh, you, you can answer it if you want, but I, I won't. Pro- I, I won't make you. There's been some been some really good answers to this. Um, so, what's the one question I should have asked you, but I didn't? Oh man, you don't have to answer it. So you can say whatever you whatever you want. <laughs> you haven't asked me what decisions I would make differently in my career. Yeah. Okay. Go. Go for it. What What things so, would you do differently? Yeah. Yeah. So, I thoroughly enjoyed my time in consulting, but I probably left it a couple more years than I needed to to move to move out into industry. Yeah. Maybe I've been there straight out of university. So yeah. Yeah. Um, it was. It was. It was a difficult decision. You know, to to, yeah. to, to choose to move on. But I ju- I wonder if. Um, if I if I'd made the same decision two or three years earlier and gone out to, I'd have probably have already exhausted everything I was going to learn from my time in consulting, and yeah, maybe I should have gone client side a little bit earlier. That's that's the one thing I look back on and go, yeah, would would I still make the same decision? Yeah, I, I think that's so common, isn't it? Especially when it's especially when when it's your first job and you've been there for a long time. I think it, it's uh, it, it's a fairly fairly common one. Um, okay, good. Um, and then so on to the to the kind of quick fire round. Um, six questions. Uh, so first one is: What's the one piece of technology you couldn't you you couldn't live without? Uh, my phone. Yeah. Because yeah, 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 the, the, yeah it, it's got the whole world in it, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, fair, fairly. I think that's definitely been the com- most common answer. Yeah. Um, what, which which brand or company do you do you really admire? Apple, not in a in a work context, um, but in in a home context, we're we're kind of wall to wall Apple. Yeah, I, I like the integration. I like the aesthetics. I think you. Um, the, 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 I think the whole brand is um, has been, has been fantastically well managed. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I'm with you on that. Um, uh, favorite business related book. Uh, there's a book called The Leadership Pipeline, okay. which um, I read, oh, it must have been early to mid-2000s, and it, it, it helps you diagnose the different behaviours you need at different, they, they call them turns in your career, from managing self to managing others and, and, and so on. And I, I quite like the um, I quite like the model because it was, it was simple enough I could carry it around in my head yeah. and not have to refer back to it. And that, that certainly helped me as I was moving kind of out of a consulting mindset into a client leader mindset. So I was, I was seconded out as the IT director to, to the general insurance company at the time. And managing people in consulting is pretty easy by and large, mm. right? Because you're, you're surrounded by um, people who are very driven, typically all, all, you know, all, all graduates, et cetera. When you went client side, you got a much more variety of experience and um, demographics, et cetera. And the same leadership approach doesn't work. Mm. Um, so that 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 was quite an interesting learning experience, and that book just helped me kind of diagnose how I needed to improve as a leader. And, and is that is that is not technology specific? That that's no, uh, that's going, no, no, okay. not technology specific at all. I mean, I'm going to need to change that question because it's costing me about 10, 10 quid a week every time someone <laughs> says a different a different one. I end up buying it, and I've not listened to any of many of them yet. Anyway, um, uh, first thing you would buy if you won the lottery. It's going to sound a slightly trite answer, but I, I don't need more stuff. Yeah, we've we've done the nice houses and nice cars things my pension's in per- perfectly good shape so yeah if, if we won the lottery i'd probably stick some you know decent amounts into a, a trust fund for my son 
I'd use it to support. We're quite big supporters of the arts in the in the Manchester area. We support the Manchester International Festival and and some of the local theatres. I think we probably direct quite a quite a bit that way, and then I'd go to even more gigs. Yeah, I didn't actually. I didn't actually ask you a bit about that. But what 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 is? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll caveat it with what what is what is Nick outside of work? What's the? You've, you've kind of semi answered it there. But is it just the, is it just the one son you've got? Yeah, and one son, twenty one year old, um, and then. Um, yeah, my my wife Lucy. So son son Owen and my wife Lucy, and we've yeah we've been together since we were seventeen. So uh, wow. yeah, we must we must be doing something right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What 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 about uh, kind of away from work? Is it is it uh, you, you mentioned gigs? What type of gigs? Are, are, yeah, yeah. So so we're big music fans. Um, and my son's a music promoter, so it's kind of in you know he's he's oh, inherited wow. it from us. So it's a pretty rare week when I'm not at least two or three gigs. And, and the year before lockdown, nice. we did best part of 150. Um, you know, so so a lot, and if, if they tend to be kind of smaller bands in smaller venues. So I'm a big indie music fan, and being being in Manchester as well, you're absolutely spoiled for venues and bands. Um, yeah. In fact, you know, you know um, tomorrow we're heading off to Paris and Amsterdam to follow one of our favourite bands on tour. So nice. Growing old disgracefully, I think, is the phrase. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I'll let you know the secret. I, I bought my, my mum is a massive Michael Bolton fan, and uh, which uh, which probably says a bit about her music taste. But I, I got dragged to watch Michael Bolton last night with her because I bought her some tickets, and my dad re- literally refused to go. So uh, yeah, not maybe not quite the same gigs, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, not 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 quite the same. Yeah. <laughs> it was at the Royal Albert Hall though, which was quite impressive. Oh, great, ben- yeah, yeah, great venue. I've been to a few good gigs there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, favorite film or TV series? That's a bit of a lockdown thing. I'm sure people have got for a few. You can have um, one of each if you want. Yeah, it's a t- TV series, probably Billions at the moment. Yeah, yeah that, that 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 that's been an excellent series. Um, favorite film? One for, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I've seen both. Very, very good. Uh, and then, last but not least, um, if you weren't uh, a CTO, what would you be? Yeah, I toyed when I when I took my year out to decide what I wanted to do. I, I really thought long and hard about going and doing law. Oh, um, but um, yeah, at the time, some of the some of the guys from school, and it was a boys' school I was at, but some of the guys who, who who'd gone off to do law, it looked really hard work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. like really hard work. Um, yeah. So uh, lots of reading. I, I, yeah, lots of reading and really hard work right from the first year at university. So I kind of taught myself out of that. But uh, yeah, if I if I wasn't doing this, I th- yeah, I think going down that kind of route is something I'd I'd have I'd have um, considered probably more the barrister side than the solicitor side. But uh, yeah, yeah, and there's some similar traits. There. Yeah, you still got to have that kind of analytical mindset. I think. Of course. Yeah, 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 definitely. Great. Well, look, that brings us to the end. Um, so, so look, f- first and foremost, th- thank you very much for, for, for taking the time out to, to uh, speak to us. Um, I'm sure the listeners have got some uh, amazing little snippets from there. Um, na- naturally, off the back of this, um, some people try like to, to reach out and get in contact. Um, is LinkedIn the best place for people yeah. to, to get yeah. in touch if they want to, want to speak to you uh, about anything that we've discussed? And are you OK for people to do that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn, definitely the route. And they're uh, very happy to uh, to speak to people if it helps them. Perfect. Well, look, thanks, everyone, for, for listening. Um, much more episodes to, to come. So to keep listening and um, we'll see you again next time. And, and Nick, thanks. Uh, thanks again for joining us. No problem. Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. If you like the episode, please subscribe. Give us a five star rating like and a comment and even better please share with your friends and colleagues if you'd like to connect with me you can do so at linkedin.com forward slash mark thomas and the number zero it would be great to hear from you 
Equally, if you have any suggestions for future guests or other areas you'd like me to explore, it would be great to hear them too. Behind the Desk is powered by Eames Consulting, part of the Eames Group. You can find out more about us at eamesconsulting.com. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to catching up with you again next time.